This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. And in March 2015, Kane PLC commenced international arbitration proceedings against the Indian government because they felt that this is not correct. Top story this evening, it's a second tax arbitration setback for the Indian government in the last three months. UK's Cairn Energy has won a 10,000 crore rupee arbitration award against a tax demand made by the Indian government in 2014. It's a big development coming in and a major embarrassment for the Indian government. Cane Energy, the British oil major, has now taken a step forward to seizing Indian assets and this with regard to the Cane Tax Dispute Arbitration Award. Yes, you have heard it right. Cairn, a Scottish energy company, is actually trying to seize Indian assets worth billions of dollars to collect the $1.72 billion it claims the government of India owes them. Some have even put a number to that. $70 billion worth of Indian-owned assets globally that could potentially be pursued world over, including in London. Ken has already set the ball in motion just a week back. It filed a lawsuit in New York aimed at allowing it to seize the planes of state-owned Air India, thereby escalating the tax dispute with Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government. It's Friday, 21st of May. From the Economic Times, this is Orijit Burman, and you're listening to The Morning Brief. But can Ken actually do that? After Air India, what can come next? And in which jurisdiction? Isn't Air India on the verge of getting privatized? Like Ken, can Vodafone also follow suit, considering the telecom giant is also fighting a similar long-running tax dispute against our government? And last but not the least, to what extent will our repeated disinclination to honor international contracts and treaties impact the global image as a reliable country for global investments? Too many questions, but fortunately, I have a great panel to address each one of these issues and much more. Joining us, Mukesh Bhutani, founder and managing partner of BMR Legal, the last word in all things related to tax and transfer pricing. We also have Vyapak Desai, partner, Nishit Desai Associates, a leading law firm who has seen many international arbitration matters up close and my senior ET colleague, Deepshikha Shikharwar, who understands the finance ministry and tax department like none other. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the morning brief. Let's dive right in. Deepshikha, first off, let me ask you, India is repeatedly challenging international arbitration awards. It's increasing the tax assessments. Why is our tax department becoming so aggressive and adamant? Everyone is only saying just one thing. Stiffing Cairn or Vodafone on arbitration settlements will make our already business-unfriendly reputation worse. Wasn't this government against tax terrorism in the first place? Then what's really going on? Uh, thanks, Arijit. Uh, what we need to understand here is where is the government coming from? Uh, we have seen that there was a lot of criticism of the retrospective amendment which was brought in by the UPA government. There cannot be a situation somebody will make money on an asset located in India and will not pay tax either to India or to the country of its origin.
the late Pranab Mukherjee, the former UPA finance minister there, defending the retrospective tax amendments that he introduced in parliament. The BJP, uh, which was in opposition then, had opposed it. And when it came to power, uh, they did not repeal the law. They decided to put in a mechanism. They did uh, sort of dilute some provisions. They brought in uh, some clarifications. But the provision remained as such on the statute. So the argument and then given was that this law was passed by the parliament. So as a party, though we were in the opposition, we did not sort of support this law, but it was a law endorsed by the parliament of India. So we would not repeal it. We will put in place a mechanism to ensure that the foreign investors are not you know, scared of, and we will not go after them in a way. I have given a very large assurance that this government doesn't believe in creating fresh liabilities of tax retrospectively. So such an episode won't happen. That was late Arun Jaitley, who took over as finance minister when the Narendra Modi government came into power in 2014. But that said, that is the thinking that has sort of prevailed. So you will litigate a case till the last mile, till the last stop. And uh, all of us who have been tracking uh, taxation, especially the retrospective amendment, the Vodafone case, we had expected that you know once the arbitration award came about, both in the Vodafone case or the Kane case, the government would abide by that, accept it, and not further litigate. Mm -hmm. True. But. Uh, they have decided to go ahead and litigate, and the premise is that uh, the, the legal advisors have also advised the government to challenge the award. Why? Because the contention is that the bilateral investment treaty against which, which was in litigation, uh, which was the subject matter of the award, mm -hmm. does not cover taxation law. So we cannot accept, and taxation, uh, which the government believes is a sovereign right. Finance minister in a couple of interviews to the Economic Times has sort of reiterated that taxation is a sovereign right and no, mm -hmm. no court outside or no court can challenge the sovereign right of a government to impose tax. Understood. And so they have decided to challenge it. Now, the... Challenge, the part is part which we are challenging is that whether BIT covers taxation or not. And right. both the cases, Vodafone and Kane, the, uh, the, the same challenge is being levied. Understood. Mr. Bhutani, before we proceed and focus on the granular details, I want you to explain simply for our listeners what is the core of this dispute? Is Vodafone, Kane, very different from each other, or they're fundamentally the same issue? Insofar as Kane is concerned, the issue is very simple. Deep Shikha described the retrospective amendment of 2012 has come under the lens of the tax department for what was a transaction of August 2006, by virtue of which Kane underwent 
for simplistic reason, a internal group restructuring in the pre-IPO days. Mm -hmm. The tax authorities brought an action after the 2012 law and took a view that the internal reorg that Kane underwent in 2006 is a transaction that is liable for tax. Mm -hmm. uh, Kane uh, pursued remedies even under the domestic law, which remedy is still alive, mm -hmm. lost the case in the tribunal, and Kane is before the High Court insofar as the domestic remedy is concerned. However, Kane also pursued a bilateral investment treaty uh, arbitration, uh, which is the award that you're talking about mm -hmm. in the Hague Arbitral Tribunal has held in Kane's favor that the India violated what is called as a fair and equitable treatment under the bilateral investment treaty. And as a result of which India will have to make good the amounts that have been forfeited by the revenue department, partly through dividends that were declared out of the Indian company and partly through the freezing of the shares that has happened. Uh, so that's really, in a nutshell, what the Kane Award is all about. Mr. Bhutani, help me understand one thing. This is no longer a tax dispute between a particular company and a sovereign. The ramifications, as I can understand, are clearly wide. I mean, many of these PSUs, supposedly under Kane Scanner, are listed. So they have retail and institutional shareholders, both domestic and foreign. Air India is also on the verge of getting privatized. So it's just going to get messier and messier. Well, yeah, yes, as you correctly pointed out, both the transactions are independent. In Vodafone's case, uh, there was an isolated acquisition of one share of a Cayman Island company, mm -hmm. two of which uh, Vodafone acquired the underlying assets, which was the telecom license in India mm -hmm. and of other issues. So, Vyapuk, uh, you know, I want you to explain. So now Ken, the UK company, has gone ahead and initiated a lawsuit against Air India. Now, what does that mean? Are they actually trying to seize their planes, their office buildings? So this is not... a uh private-to-private private dispute, right? This is uh, private to, uh, you know, India or Correct. sovereign as a dispute. At the end of the day, uh, when a party who, who has suffered an award like this, in, in this case, almost about 10,000 crores, mm -hmm. uh, will have to obviously pay up. If they don't pay up, uh, subject to challenge and otherwise, uh, there is an inbuilt right to enforce that award against the assets of that party. Mm -hmm. Here, the party we are talking about is India and assets which India holds, right? So, uh, let's say India has, you know, assets in its own uh, name or, or rather belonging to uh, the country itself. Mm -hmm. uh, they can also attribute uh, some of the assets which may be commercial in nature, uh, held through, you know, different entities like Air India or maybe in other forms or other commercial assets uh, outside India or in India. And what uh, Kane Energy can do is lay their hands on those assets 
obviously they have to establish uh, how india is considered as the owner of those assets how they can innovate uh, peers that will uh, to get hold of those assets uh, held by air india considering these are indian assets and if they uh, manage to uh, get uh, that through pass through that test then they can very well get hold of let's say air india building owned by air india in us or other countries uh, or the planes every time i fly air india i realize how much better it is we are air india air india proud to be indian proud to be global tomorrow can can also go and try and seize the oil fields or gas fields of ongc say in brazil russia or if say ntpc has a power plant in europe or africa they can stay claim on on them so what stops them from impleding those assets as well so as you uh, at least the news report suggests that they have tried uh, and go to several countries where they Correct. are finding indian assets uh, only distinction can be made is sovereign assets used for sovereign functions uh, that may be protected in certain uh laws and certain treaties between the countries but all the assets held by those governments or those countries uh which are commercial in nature so long as they are able to uh bring the nexus or establish the nexus that this is nothing but indian assets held by indian government or india as as a sovereign nation uh they can definitely lay their hands in in any number of countries and all of this can actually run in parallel they don't have to go one after the other you know there have been reports that can has identified some 70 billion dollar worth of potential assets that they can go after uh, so do we already have a sense as which are the other such commercial assets which are potentially under threat and you know what's the gov- what's the, what is the government thinking about defending them arijit what they have been talking about uh, is of course you know the oil fields that you mentioned and other mm-hmm. assets of air india and so on the public sector entities which are commercial enterprises uh, some of which are uh, 100% owned by the government uh, like air india is the assets owned by air india overseas and some other entities government has of course uh, engaged a legal team of counsels as we understand and they are going to contest uh, wherever you know such cases are filed by can mm-hmm. so they are uh, the government will fight it out uh, in all such uh, claim cases that the can files the ramifications as i can understand are clearly wide I mean many of these PSUs supposedly under Ken Scanner are listed so they have retail and institutional shareholders both domestic and foreign Air India is also on the verge of getting privatized so it's just going to get messier and messier it becomes a difficult exercise because the first question is whether you for determining whether it's a commercial asset or a sovereign asset whether you're going to apply the domestic law or the international law ah the laws differ correct so in most situations it would be the international law 
But then also a question arises whether you'll apply the law in the jurisdiction in which the asset is located or uh -huh. the law of the jurisdiction whose assets are coming under consideration. Correct. I think there is another technicality uh, which is there in the cane insofar as the proceedings against uh, acquiring Air India uh, aircraft is concerned. Now, Air India is owned by the sovereign, but it is not the sovereign. True. So the sovereign here is the shareholder in Air India. And hence the claim is made since the claim is on the sovereign and on the sovereign's assets. The question is that should the claim be on the shares of Air India or should the claims be on the asset underlying those shares which are lying on the balance sheet of Air India, Correct. which dependent company altogether. So I think there are several complexities over here. Uh, I think it would be too speculative uh, to comment. Correct, because in the lawsuit, uh, uh, the Air India lawsuit, which was filed in the Southern District of New York, I think last week, uh, that seeks to enforce that Air India, and now I'm going to quote from the lawsuit, is the alter ego of the Republic of India and therefore jointly and severally liable for the debts and obligations of India itself. This is from the Kane Energy lawsuit. Correct. I think the issue here uh, again boils down uh, to the point that Deep Shikha mentioned at the start, which is autonomy of fiscal autonomy over fiscal matters. Correct. Which is core to any nation's sovereignty. Absolutely. Which has become a key issue in a private dispute. Correct. And whether this autonomy is of a nature which ring fences against claims that can be brought under investment treaty. Also, uh, if I may come in here, yes, so there are always protections to the sovereign to not take away their autonomy on several different aspects. But Correct. it is not uh, more about the autonomy or more about the taxation measures. I think what also falls out uh, during these proceedings is, you know, the process and the manner in which some of these actions are taken. Understood. Dipshika, the, if I'm not mistaken, the government also had thought setting up a committee uh, and then strategize uh, what next to be done vis-a-vis -vis the Ken decision, right? Uh, was that committee ever set up? I mean, was there a report or that was just more of a lip service, really? So, uh, you know, internally, these issues have been discussed, uh, interministerial discussions have happened, mm -hmm. uh, both on Vodafone as also on Kane. Kane. Uh, so those discussions have happened. Uh, and as we know, on the retrospective law, uh, when the NDA government came to power, uh, they had said, you know, any any uh, action under this law will come to a panel under CBDT, which would be set up, and only then, you know, uh, it would be allowed, and so on and so forth. But when India sought to correct this, they should have corrected it for future transactions, not for transactions that had happened in the past, and uh, which is why we are we've landed where we have landed. Uh, so on and so forth. And now we will sort of go on defending uh, what we say is our sovereign right to taxation. Uh, the Correct. premise Correct. being 
yeah, we have a right to tax as a nation, but whether we were right or, uh, I mean, the government would not accept that it was a wrong decision on its past to sort of enact a retrospective legislation, which went uh, back to 1961 when the income tax law was enacted. And this is what our current finance minister, Nirmala Sitharaman, have to say on the matter. There should be no retrospective tax, Absolutely. but will you course correct? And, and course correction is a larger, uh, course correction is a word which I've used in the larger context, which includes retrospective tax also. Mr. Bhutani, uh, you know, this is not just about the government and, uh, you know, a private company, Cairn or a Vodafone. There are other stakeholders who are also getting dragged into the matter. For example, we have shareholders uh, in, in, in say, um, any of these oil, uh, companies which are potentially under, uh, under the radar of Cairn. Um, similarly, um, many of these companies like Air India, like Shipping Corporation, we are looking at divesting them. So, uh, you know, it's just getting unnecessarily complicated. It's getting muddied. And, uh, you know, it, what started off as a particular tax dispute is now becoming a far bigger macro, even perhaps a policy issue. I think that the point which Deep Shikha made earlier assumes significance. And for the sake of simplicity, all she was saying is the certainty part is very critical. Correct. I doubt if the retrospect, I doubt if the amendment to tax offshore transfers received as much criticism as the retrospectivity part of it. So let True. the amendment, the whole debate on offshore transfer of assets, it's not just restricted to India. As a matter of fact, it started in China before it hit India or before the Vodafone case hit the headlines. It is there in Colombia. It is there in Peru. It is there in Indonesia. And at the OECD level, this has now become a classic debate between emerging nations and developed nations because the developed nations pursued the philosophy of strict residence-based rule of taxation. Mm -hmm. As the emerging nations have started pursuing in the last decade or so, led by countries like India, China, and Brazil, the source base. I think I have no doubt in my mind that the dust will settle down, but right now it's muddled and it is no longer restricted to a Vodafone or a cane kind of case, uh, it is much more cross-country than we could have ever imagined uh, when the whole issue of Vodafone and cane, cane came up. Correct. In. Because some people may even argue that, look, even the cane uh, case, 9,000 odd crores, 1.2 1. billion, uh, even if, if, it's, if we take 1.5 billion, that's not much really uh, for a government of our size. So why the halabalu? I mean, the halabalu, I guess, is because, as you said, that it, it is no longer just a tax dispute. It is far. It has gone far beyond that. Correct. As I mentioned, uh, it is the retrospectivity part of it uh, which created uh, the noise and not the law per se. Understood. And Vapak, I mean, the very uh, notion of these bilateral investment treaties uh, now coming under the scanner. Uh, for 20 years, uh, they were all fine. There was no controversy 
uh, against India. But in the last decade or so, we have 25 odd cases and they still keep uh, mounting. Why suddenly? What changed? So I think uh, uh, you are right. I think the way the history of uh, bilateral investment uh, treaty disputes uh, is, uh, uh, you know, our very first BIT was somewhere in 1993-94. I think the first one, if I'm not wrong, was the India-UK BIT. And since then, I think we entered more than, you know, 80-85 BITs with several countries. And till 2011, except uh, a claim made in, in the Enron saga, which also ultimately got settled, there were no instances of any BIT claim made against India, mm -hmm. right? Uh, then came White Industries in 2012, where India lost on a point uh, that India could not, uh, you know, provide access to justice, uh, where there was a commercial arbitration award uh, pending enforcement for, you know, several years. Uh, and then uh, while India was just grappling with those issues, the award was very small in that, uh, uh, you know, and I think India paid off and nothing happened much around it. But the focus came on BITs uh, at that point in time. And then two major incidences happened. One is the whole 2G spectrum fiasco uh, yes. where uh, Supreme Court cancelled, uh, you know, licenses. And to this retrospective amendment, what happened was the measures were so severe that uh, a lot of companies who would generally think hundred times before invoking BIT, you know, you know, started thinking, uh, you know, towards that. And once you know uh, one person sues, and uh, you know the experience, uh, you know, goes by. I it think opens a it, it opens Pandora's box and then several people have done it and as latest as Mitsui, uh, you know, last week. So I think what has happened is some of those decisions. And as I told earlier, it is not about the action in itself. It is the process followed uh, as part of that action. And, and you know. Uh, you know, we were talking, it is not about the amendment. It is about how it was implemented retrospectively for past transaction. And same thing with 2G spectrum. I think what has happened and same with Devas Multimedia case, what has happened is the high-handedness or I would say the lack of process and the lack of, uh, you know, natural justice, which has been uh, somewhere missed out in this whole, uh, you know, uh, process is what is hurting us more in the international community than the act itself. And uh, yes, one argument which this government and many other governments take that look, BITs and claims under BITs have no direct proportionate uh, you know, effect on the foreign direct investments. And one simple example Correct. people give is that look, US never had a BIT with India because still US is the biggest trade partner. True. But that may not work in a BIT context because a lot of those investments come through different jurisdictions and those jurisdictions do have, uh, you know, BIT protection. So BIT is one of the important criteria, if not the most or the only criteria uh, for having a good international image 
uh, attracting foreign investment, which is, of course, India needs the most at this stage. India now needs to swiftly bring this matter to a close, to comply with their obligations and to honour the award. That is what our shareholders, those global financial institutions, expect. And if India do not do that, and if India delay, then our shareholders expect us to pursue our strong powers of enforcement, which we will have to do. That was clearly a stern, if not impatient, Simon Thompson, the CEO of Kane Energy PLC. A little trivia for our listeners. In March of 2015, someone in India's labyrinthine bureaucracy decided to send a tax notice to his company on his birthday. Can you beat that? So, Mr. Bhutani, very briefly, uh, we, we are running out of time. Just want to understand, according to you, the ghost of Cairn is more dangerous than the ghost of Vodafone. Would you agree? Well, it certainly has attracted uh, more media attention because of the uh, actions that uh, Kane has decided to pursue. From a larger perspective, what seems to me is the attention of the world is going beyond tax claims. It's really on where India stands with regard to foreign awards under international arbitration. So there are two sides to the argument over here. It's one thing to say that our arbitration law is being amended from time to time uh, to make it more uh, benefiting, encouraging uh, foreign awards. Supreme Court has been playing a very instrumental role in giving institutional international arbitration a shape. Uh, The fact that last month the Supreme Court approved that two Indian companies can have a venue of arbitration outside India, uh, speaks volumes of that. But on the other hand, people are equally critical of the 2021 amendment to the Arbitration Act, uh, which says that an arbitral award uh, secured with fraud and misrepresentation uh, is not something that can be enforced in India. Because it's not just it's not just the government, uh, Mr. Bhutani. Even India Inc. Uh, seems to be a bad loser. Private companies also have been challenging arbitration awards, uh, um, and and the cases are many involving several of our well-respected uh, corporations, Indian corporations. So, uh, I mean, it's, so it, it, there is a there is a bigger issue here. But last words to you, Deepshikha. Uh, we talked about uh, the bilateral treaties per se. Now, what is the finance ministry's view about them? Because we are uh, renegotiating or terminating many such treaties in the first place. Uh, or do we still feel that BITs are necessary in the changing world dynamics? Uh, Arijit, so uh, like Mr. Desai mentioned, uh, we signed first treaty in 1994. Correct. And that same draft was adopted for other countries. And we went on to sign uh, more than uh, 80 treaties. Uh, we then, you know, decided after this whole, uh, when BITs came into focus with these arbitration claims, we decided that we will sort of explicitly, uh, you know, keep 
issues such as taxation and so on out of the bilateral investment treaty. Correct. So, uh, you know, a new model draft was prepared and that kept government procurement, taxation, subsidies, uh, compulsory license and national security explicitly from the scope of the uh, treaty per se. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, a number of countries, uh, especially in Europe, they, they objected to the treaties and we've been having discussions, uh, so on, so forth on, uh, you know, renegotiating the treaty and adoption of the new draft. Back in the day, global investors really believed Prime Minister Narendra Modi would keep his promise to end the previous UPA regime's tax terror. But by dragging its feet for years to explore some kind of an appeal, even when the arbitration panel in The Hague has been unanimous, it has defeated the whole purpose. After all, the whole point of these forums are to resolve a dispute with finality. In 2012, India brought in retrospective taxation via the central budget. All that our finance minister had to do this year was to make a small provision for the cane payment. It would have been an insignificant footnote in her mega $472 billion expenditure plan. She didn't. We are also not dropping our appeal against the Vodafone arbitration, which has also gone against us. By doubling down on a bad idea, the Modi government has willy-nilly made it its own and done no favors to India's already business-unfriendly image. Perhaps the main hitch is political inertia. By not making a clean break after the 2014 polls from Manmohan Singh government's draconian retrospective taxation, the Modi administration had already missed a fleeting opportunity for a reset in what has traditionally been a testy relationship between the state and the private sector. And now, whatever the tax department may say, Keynes' recent aggression has wrong-footed everyone. Mind you, if Ken succeeds to seize Air India's planes, India will be in the same infamous league with Pakistan and Venezuela, which faced similar enforcement action over failure to pay arbitration awards. Thank you, Vapak, Mukesh, and Deepshika for taking time out and joining us. It was a really engaging conversation but I'm afraid we've completely run out of time and so I've got to end here. But I hope to have all of you back for another engaging conversation because this will be an unraveling saga. I'm Orijit Barman and you've been listening to The Morning Brief. This episode was edited and coordinated by Shashwat Mohanty and Bhavya Dilip Kumar. All the clips used in this podcast belong to their respective owners. You can find the credits in the description. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. We look forward to your feedback. Write to us at themorningbrief@timesgroup.com. And if you like this episode, please share on your social media handles. We'll really appreciate it. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursdays and Friday. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. Goodbye and good luck and stay safe.